We're live. Good. Okay. <laughs> do, you, do you guys have Do you guys have beer? No. I mean, no. yes, but oh. in another room. I mean, I'm so glad you guys told me. I mean, we we didn't record yesterday because, as you know, yesterday by this time I was three glasses of red wine in, and that would that really wouldn't have been very professional. Probably not. Today it's a lot different. Today I'm also three glasses of red wine in, so <laughs> it's a lot better, as you can hear. Well. Today we're trying to tackle a complicated topic, so a little bit of sobriety will probably go a long way. Yeah, I need it. I need it. Or, or the other way. Or the other way, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little worried that I'm going to garner myself a reputation here as the only the only one who drinks, and that's not fair. You guys do well, a, a fair no, bit of drinking of your own. It's it's like four o'clock here. I, I can't be half in the tank by yeah, now. Josh yeah. Josh just got back from work, so he's... Paraphrasing Mary is you just, you should move to Spain. True. <laughs> yeah, but you, you paraphrased out the key part of it, which was Toronto. It's not Spain he should move to, it's Toronto. Well, okay, Madrid. Fair enough, Madrid. No. <laughs> move to Madrid. <laughs> Halfway <Yeah>. through. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so Josh, tell us about the new MacBook. Uh, for context, he bought two of them. Um, maybe you can explain why you, you have two of the new MacBook Pros? Wait, wait, wait. Before he before he goes into it, the only thing I want to say about this, just to reflect, this is a lost opportunity. We totally should have made another bet. <laughs> There's no chance of buying a camera now. It was, I mean, I could have guessed it from, from, I mean, I was watching the keynote and I was thinking, Josh is going to buy at least two of these, like <laughs> right from the get-go. Hindsight is 2020. Yeah, in retrospect, you should have made a computer bet, but I feel like that would have that's like low hanging fruit. Would have been too easy to win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I didn't buy well, I haven't officially bought two of them yet. Only one's on the credit card. Uh-huh. So, okay. one's a theoretical. Pre-orders price. count, remember. There's precedent for these. Okay, so yes, I guess I bought two of them. Gee, where is? So, because Apple's got this really really sweet awesome holiday return policy, you can buy something after November 10th. And only return it on January 7th. That's pretty cool. Yeah, like, uh, it's pretty sweet. So what I'm doing is, because I, like, have one of those BTL build-to-order options. So I went with the 2.6512 and the Radeon 460, which is, like, the upgraded graphics chip. And they didn't have that in the store. So anyway, I'm only, they're only going to ship it, like, at the end of December. So I thought, hey, like, if I can return this thing, I'm just going to go buy it now, do all this stuff, return to January 7th, and I'll have my other one by then. So like it doesn't really cost me anything to do it this way and I can play around with it for a little while, do some backups, get everything set up the way I want it. And then when the new one comes, boom, done. And I can compare and contrast, even though there's going to be like no difference between the two. Well, yeah, you'll have to do some benchmarking to notice the difference. Right. Well, well, you could go to Geekbench and find that there's like a 12 point difference between the 2.6 and the 2.7. That's totally worth like 150 bucks. Well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, <laughs> it's like a 12 point single core difference. Does it translate to a difference you can feel in actual use? I'm not sure about that because it, it used to be that you could do regular stuff on your computer that would max out its CPU or it would you, you would go into a hard drive bottleneck because the transfer speed was not fast enough or whatever. Mm -hmm. These days, right. everything is so fast that that doesn't happen anymore. So I get the thinking, the the... You know, the theory is that I should buy a maxed out computer because it's going to last longer. But I don't know that with typical consumer workflows, that's true anymore. I, I'm not convinced I'm going to see a difference. I don't know that you're going to, I don't know that time is going to make any difference in the, in the way your computer feels. I don't know that if you had gone with the 2.9 instead of the 2.7 or whatever CPU, I don't know that 
five years from now, the gap is going to be that significant. I think you can feel those gaps across generations of computer, but within the same generation, that's still a very small uh, margin. And, and I'm not sure. I mean, I think the way that we test these computers and we benchmark them is obsolete. I don't think those Geekbench scores are significant anymore, to be quite honest with you. Well, when they, when they, like a couple of those reviewers talked about them and they said like real world, you know, like who was it? TLD today, Jonathan Morrison, one of my favorite guys on YouTube. He did like, he had a video comparing it to, I don't know, one of the other cool PCs. And yeah, like the, and it wasn't the 15 inch. It was like the 13 inch non-touch bar, the fifth 13 inch escape, 13 inch one. Like, I don't know what you want to call it, but whatever. The one with the fleshy kiki clicky keys. Yeah, the real, like, you know, the real computer with not this emoji bar. Anyway. Shots fired. Yeah, it was, it blew the other one out of the water, even though it was lower clocked and had a poor processor exactly. and the spec sheet wasn't as good. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the thing is super wicked fast. The trackpad is gigantic. The touch bar is more, you know, useful than I expected it to be. I'm not disappointed. The display is huge. I'm surprised by how much room there is on a 15-inch display. It's really colorful. Right. It's bright. I don't know. I really like it. I can't imagine that the whole 2.6 to 2.7 difference is going to make any difference whatsoever. I think that the graphics difference is going to make a bit of a difference. I still see like little OS stutters and legs and stuff like that. Right. You know, like just slight ones. I, I'm really used to them because I'm on like a 24, 2014 iMac, generally speaking. And that graphics card is not even close to capable of running that 5K display. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is I'm used to them. What are you typically doing when you see those stuttering? Um, switching desktops. Right. Like, you know, when you like transfer spaces or whatever? Yeah, but those animations are, uh, yeah, they're, they're, I think they're a pretty poor hack in the way that they're implemented. I, I don't think they're significant. Well, okay. That when you're actually doing something with the computer, I think it's. No, perhaps. I, all I'm saying is that I see them and I go, well, why can't the bloody computer like work? You know what I mean? Like work the, perfectly. I, I, right. Because it's, because I mean, those have been stuttery for me ever since I bought any new Mac. I mean, before the Retina era, before whatever, they, those have always been a little laggy, a little jittery. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I mean, maybe maybe the upgraded one that's coming won't be a difference. All I know is that I still see them very, very, like way less often, obviously. Like they're rare versus like being always on the iMac. So there is an improvement. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's cool. It's awesome. It's fun to have a computer that I can take down the street again, hmm. not put on my back. You know, like having a 27-inch iMac in your backpack doesn't really work. Right, but before you bought this MacBook Pro, you used to have a 13-inch MacBook Pro, didn't you? I had them all, man. Right. No, but I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to get at the size here. I mean, yeah, of course, we we yeah, buy yeah, everything. No, I, I, <laughs> Guilty as charged yeah. too. But the thing is, I'm uh, I'm a bit concerned, and I've said this before here on the show. Is I'm I want to buy a 15-inch MacBook Pro for myself, and I will do that uh, very shortly. But the, the thing is, I'm concerned that I'm, I'll be going up in size from a 13-inch, which is the laptop that I currently own, to the 15-inch. And I'm, I'm curious about whether that's a meaningful difference, whether it's more cumbersome to carry with you or whatever. I mean, what are your thoughts on actual use when you're not at home, when you're not at your desk? Well, okay, there's for sure uh, a difference in footprint size without a doubt when you know you put it on your desk and i put it on the desk at the office and it's you know it's way bigger so it takes up more desk space where i normally kept papers before so that's noticeable it's heavier no doubt about it um 
but like heavier compared to like a 13 inch MacBook Pro um from like 2012 or 2013 like uh i don't know like no no it's actually lighter than those <laughs> I, I i know because i have one <laughs> well mine's from 2010 i don't know if 2012 2013 those were ready now already or no I, I think i'm referring to like the 2012 the very first 13 inch macbook pro actually was a little bit thicker and a little heavier yeah. than the the second generation yeah, 13 inch true. retina macbook pro true. so anyway what i'm trying to say is that it, like it feels i don't know i would say they're probably the same weight close to the same and this is 15 that's 13 maybe the 15 is a little bit more i don't know the only issue is the footprint size because it doesn't fit as well into my bag like i literally cannot close my messenger bag anymore otherwise my zipper will scratch the top of the beautiful silver color silver note that not space gray yeah you need to buy a, a, a leather brixton owner bag man yeah that'd be nice i know just the guy who would sell it to you <laughs> I, I might know a guy too yeah. <laughs> so long i don't want we don't need to talk about computers all day long but at I, I mean, um, do I have a no? Is there like a noticeable issue when I go uptown with the laptop? No, it's not. The difference is the footprint. It's just like it, it took up a little bit more space than I expected on my right. desk, but whatever. I, I think it might matter to the people who are on an airplane. That might be a big difference. But yeah, when you're when when you're in a little bit start for space, yeah, the, yeah. having that big yeah. ass screen. Is a little bit tricky. Yeah. I, I notice myself sweet, uh, all the time when I'm on the train. You're, you literally the 13 inch is the perfect size because the tray that you get on your seat is just the size of the 13 inch MacBook Pro. And I I always wondered if I ever own the, the 15 inch, what am I going to do? It's gonna, you know, it's gonna overflow from the sides. It's it's gonna be a little. It's gonna hang out from the sides. It's gonna be a little weird. Well, you can move to Canada. We don't have trains here. Oh, that's better. I guess that would solve the problem. Oh, yeah, there is one, I guess. I don't think. <laughs> Marius, have you ever been on the train? Yeah, we've got trains here. I mean, we've got trains even just like commuter rail going from one part of the city to the other. The GO oh. train. Oh, Toronto has everything. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, enough to chatter about computers and the innards of those computers. Yeah. Let's talk about the things you can see. What about those that wide gamut? color whatever screen man oh i can totally see this difference guys like it's night and day <laughs> i'm kidding i don't know if this notice a difference it's brighter oh, right man but uh, not just brighter it's like, okay. i mean it, it's supposed to have this super fancy new color gamut yeah it's like and it's supposed to be this huge selling feature oh look guys my screen's more colorful than yours yeah and it's like <laughs> I, I, I don't know Oh yeah, it's totally, you know, that red, that's a way better shade of red. Like way better. Right, absolutely. It's going to make me more money because it's more, you know, it's redder. Yeah, those tomatoes look absolutely delicious now on the screen, right? You know, like, okay, so I'm being a little bit of a, of a you know, a dirtbag by saying it that way. It, it, there is a difference. Like you sent me a link last week. Last week? I don't know when it was. Yeah, it was anyway, a couple days like, ago, but whatever. Yeah, last week. Right, okay, it felt like last week. <laughs> By the time so you guys listen this, to this, it, it will have been last week, so that's fair enough. Ah, true, yeah. So, the, you know, there's a picture of, like, the, the grass and some orange shoes, the Converse-type shoes, and they're orange. Yep. Bright orange. And then they show you, I don't even know what the first picture was, uh, photo, what, what, what kind of color display was, or like, what kind of spectrum was it? It's RGB. That's the, the, second that's the standard was, everybody okay. uses for the web these days. Okay. And, it, and that's what everybody has been using for the web for like 10, 20, 15 years, whatever. Okay. So the first one was sRGB. And the second photo was, um, 
in wide color gamut. Adobe RGB. Oh, okay. Does that mean wide color? Which is, I mean, if you're, because this is actually going to be our main topic for the show. We should probably tell people about that. We're going to talk about color gamuts, how they impact your photography and your editing and whatever. So this Apple new feature that, that they rolled out with the MacBook Pros, they, they did it a couple of years ago on the iPhones and the iPads, but this is the first time they rolled it out on the laptop's computers, their laptop computers. And the difference here is that you can now display a wider uh, range of colors or visible colors on your on your Mac than you could on the previous generation. So it's wider towards the greens, especially. And these, uh, the way these displays are arranged is you have sRGB, which is the narrower gamut that pretty much every decent monitor can display. And that's what's been used to uh, to embed on pictures on the web for a really long time because that's what everybody has and what everybody can see. But as displays have gotten better, they've been becoming able to display wider and wider colors or more and more colors, if you will. So you have sRGB is the sort of the lowest common denominator. Then you have, for printing purposes, you have CM, CMYK. Is that correct, Marius? Yep. That's the language that your printer typically understands. Is that It's a, just a different way to, to code colors. But it's also slightly wider than sRGB. So the, the problem that you run into when your display is sRGB is that the colors that you're seeing on the display do not match what comes out of the printer if you're trying to print your images because the printer sees a wider range of colors than your display does. So how can we solve that? We need a better display that's able to display more colors. And that's where these fancy new wide gamut displays come into play. Okay. So you make it sound like it actually has an impact. Good for you. I'm impressed. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. So the second picture that you were referring to was uh, had an Adobe RGB uh, gamut embedded on it, which means it can display colors, like a lot, a, a lot more colors because Adobe RGB right. is sort of the gold standard for color gamuts these days. And it has been since 1998, which is when it was first developed by Adobe. Uh, why hasn't it changed since 1998? Because the visible spectrum is the same as it's always been, and there's no need to update a theoretical model anymore. So that's always, I think that's always going to be the same. Right. But now the the Adobe RGB color space is too wide for for it to be practical. I mean, to create a display that would conform to 100% of Adobe RGB would be pretty challenging technically because it would require very very different technology than what is commercially available these days at, at m prices that most people are willing to pay at least. Well, hold on. It's, that's not really the case. Adobe, Adobe RGB is not that much wider than sRGB. It's certainly within the realm of current technical possibility to get 100% coverage um, with cheaper panels. That's not really the, the, the interesting thing about this whole discussion and the fact that um, Apple chose wider color gamuts as, as a feature is how they went about it. So their right. wider gamut is not Adobe RGB. It's something called DCI P3, which is yet another color space and one that was developed uh, primarily with a focus on um, video, uh, specifically video editing and, and professional video and things like that. So the fact that they chose that instead of um, Adobe RGB is just, it's, it's a choice. It's not uh, really... Uh, it doesn't indicate anything because both of those um, color spaces are broader than sRGB. They're actually fairly similar in terms of how broad they are independently, but one of them has 
more coverage in certain hues while the other one has more coverage in certain other hues. Um, so that if you look at a chart where they overlap, you can kind of get a better sense of what I'm talking about. It's difficult to describe these in words, but you'll probably see um, charts that have like an interesting rainbow triangle thing um, for each spectrum. So if you look at that and you compare them, you'll, you'll get a better sense of what we're talking about. Um, but it, it's interesting because I look at this as a very necessary move, and it's not necessarily about immediate practical applications. It's about future interface transparency, because the goal of any interface is to disappear, ideally. And in order for it to disappear, it has to look real. And sRGB is a an approximated representation of the colors that we see in the real world. So as we advance towards a place where our computers are everywhere and, and wearable technology becomes everything, interfaces have to look like the real world. We can't, uh, we, we can no longer live with the compromise of sRGB um, because it just looks fake. It ruins that immersive thing that we're going for. So again, I look at it not necessarily as something that's required today for practical things, although there are practical benefits to it. I, I look at it and I say, you know, in the future, we're going to have display technology that accurately looks or accurately covers the full spectrum of colors that our eyeballs and brains are capable of perceiving. So the difference between looking at a photo uh, on a screen and looking at that scene beside you will be negligible. There, there won't be a difference other than the fact that one is a static image and the other is the actual scene. Color-wise, they will look the same. Contrast-wise, they will be identical. That's the future that Apple is pushing towards. And again, in, a, in an industry where we've seen the same sRGB color space adopted and used for decades, um, this is obviously something they need to start pushing for as quickly as they can. And I think that that's just what's happened is now the, the technology has gotten to the point where they're able to bring it down to a price point that's accessible. And so they're just going to spread it around the entire product line and uh, essentially force the rest of the industry into slowly adopting um, wider color gamut for output and for display and for things like that. And we're seeing it in the content space as well with HDR video um, and the two competing standards there. It's all it's all a similar push towards, you know, okay, we were, we were fine with sRGB up till now, but it's really time to uh, to push beyond that because there are other ways of representing color that are either more accurate or more pleasing or whatever. There, there are benefits either way. Right. Clearly, I'm not going to sit here and like deny what you just said. We have to move forward with this. It has to get to a point where it's the, the color is perfect. That being said, the difference is I like it's just not mind-blowingly different. Like Again, I'm going to go back to this WebKit page that Alvaro sent me the other day. So I'm scrolling through it and I look at the sRGB photo and then I look at the uh, the wide color gamut photo, the third one in the uh, on the on the page. And so I scroll through and upon like looking at it, there's just no like you can't possibly tell me that you can see the difference between them as you scroll through them. Like it, maybe I'm colorblind, but I just can't see the difference. The only time that I see the difference is when I open up two tabs, same page, scroll to the same photo and flip back and forth is like, like really quick on the touch bar. Right. Uh, and like, it just, you know, press back and forth and like, without a doubt, now I see the difference, you know, it, there it's definitely noticeable. Yeah. But that's precisely what this is a very tricky problem to solve. Right. No, all, all, I'm, all I'm trying to say is that like, 
is that it's not like this mind blowing change that's somehow going to change everybody's workflow and make every picture in the world better. It's just that it's progress and it's iter- iterative product progress. Yeah, no, but it, it will make them better, but just not enough for people to care. Yeah, it will do that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, for typical consumer uses, sRGB is more than enough, which is why it's going to be very difficult to get rid of it. But it's only at the very high end of the market, at where, where professional uses, where you need color accuracy, because the difference between uh, print and, and display or whatever, at, at those levels is when those differences become meaningful. But for consumer use, it really doesn't matter. Nobody's going to notice. Especially unless you have, you know, those two pictures side by side. Yeah, then then you can sort of see a difference. But if you see either of those pictures on its own, our brains are really good at masking those differences, and we just don't care enough. That's 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 the simple truth, and that's why I believe until every single person adopts a, a new display technology with wide gamut, this is not going to be. Uh, solved like which is never <laughs> yeah well no it's gonna take it's gonna take time I mean it, until the technology becomes cheap enough that all manufacturers use it and then it's just a matter of time because uh, until you know old computers or this oldest place are phased out of the market and and everybody owns the newer ones that's how these generational uh, shifts happen it, it takes a really long time because it's just the way yeah. the way these things go yeah so there, there's two things here first of all uh josh you're right and fundamentally this is why it is a difficult marketing problem for apple because unlike the uh, the transition from standard resolution screens to retina screens for example this is a more subtle difference um it yeah there's no instant gratification exactly. here it confers about the same amount of benefit but it's it's just less impressive it's less like there's less of a wow factor but right Mm -hmm. um there's another important thing to point out here and that's that you and and i and everyone has been using wide color gamuts for years already just not in the final output because everything that you do in lightroom is actually processed in yet another gamut called pro photo rgb and Profoto RGB is even wider than Adobe RGB. It's actually, it extends beyond the limit of the human ability to perceive color um, in certain areas. But essentially, it is like a maximum color gamut that Lightroom uses internally while it's developing photos. And the reason is for the same reason that we do all of our audio processing on the lossless wave files instead of the MP3s, because you don't want to throw away image data until the very last possible moment. You want to be editing with the full spectrum of information that you have available so that your edits will be um, as minimally destructive as possible. And then at the point where you're ready to output it for the web, for print, for whatever, then you can kind of throw away whatever data is not going to be relevant for that output destination. But while you're working on the file, while you're developing it, um, it's extremely important to have all those colors available. And that's why Lightroom and Photoshop and all these other um, image editing software use those gamuts during processing. Right. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. The the Lightroom and, and Photoshop do use those wider gamuts, but you don't get to see them unless your display is able to to actually show them. Yeah. That's so right. you're actually not seeing the the accurate colors on the display as you're editing the pictures. And that's why it's important for production work because the result you see on the on your display at home doesn't match what the client's going to see 
on their display at home or what it's going to come out of the printer when you send it to the to the printer for the billboard that you're uh, going to put all the way on Fifth Avenue in New York, you know? So right. yep. that, that's the problem. We need color-accurate displays because precisely because we're handling these raw files that are much richer in color that our monitors can show us. And that's where the the gap happens, and that's a gap that's important for professionals because that's where their work is going to suffer if they're not able to take those considerations into account. Yeah, and one of the things, I hate to keep drawing parallels to audio here, but um, one of the things that this is very close to is the value of um, of a professional audio mastering studio when you're finishing up a song. Uh, because when you're when you're finishing a piece of music or, or a piece of audio, whatever it is, you ideally want to be listening to it on a pair of studio monitors um, or extremely flat frequency response headphones. And the reason is that if it sounds good on those, it will sound good everywhere else. So there's an element of normalization. If you get it sounding good using extremely sophisticated equipment that represents it as accurately as possible, then it will sound fine when you're listening to it on uh, consumer grade headphones and things like that that will uh, you know boost the lows to make it more exciting boost the highs whatever if you listen to it through those while you're mixing you're going to artificially turn down the lows because they'll sound too loud you'll turn down the highs whatever and then when you play it back on a normal system it sounds lopsided and weird the exact same thing applies to photo editing so you ideally want to be working and and seeing the image at its maximum fidelity while you're working on it so that you can ensure that on a wide range of systems once you export it, it looks more or less the way you intend. And this is why um, a lot of people run into trouble when they're first printing photos, especially at home, because first of all, their monitor will be way too bright. So it'll look great on the screen, but then they print it and it's like, oh my God, why is it so dark? Right. Um, and the reason is because they've forgotten to check the histogram. They've forgotten to, you know, keep in mind that the way an image looks on a backlit screen is very different than what it's going to look like printed out on ink on paper uh you know so you've got to uh you've got to work around these kinds of um technical hiccups uh essentially while you're preparing your images and that's where having access to a display that is able to more accurately represent your image on a consumer grade device is a big step forward because nowadays Everyone's a photographer, right? I mean, the fact that our iPhones are are uh, capturing wide color gamut JPEGs is fantastic. Um, but it means that more people are going to be processing their images. More people are going to be trying to print their images. And so it's good that for those kinds of people, they'll be able to automatically benefit from this technology without realizing it, right? Because that's the beauty of it. Like these people are going to buy an iMac. They're going to use it in Lightroom to edit their photos. But when they export it or when they print it, it's going to look fine because those displays are more accurate. So compared to someone using an old PC gaming monitor, for instance, who's trying to edit photos, that person's probably going to run into a lot more hurdles as they're learning to process their images because they're just not working with an accurate setup to begin with. So this is important. This is why I'm saying it's it's less exciting. There's less of a wow factor, but it's this subliminal improvement that is actually going to touch a lot of people's workflows in lots of interesting ways. Right, and I think there's something else that's worth mentioning here, which is that everything about color spaces is very complex, it's very technical, and you could rightly wonder, how is this not a mess? Because every display has its own color space, every picture has a different color space embedded. Why don't we see this? Why don't we notice this on the web when, we're, when we receive a picture from a friend? Why is this something that people are not complaining about every day? And that's because 
most computers do a process that's called color management, which is they know the computer knows the color space that the picture uh, is representing, and the computer also knows the color space that the display can show. So typically, the operating system will dynamically match the colors from one space to the other so that the end result looks more or less accurate or at least as accurate as it can within the limitations of both both devices, the, the computer and the picture. The problem here is that color management, and this is where the mobile revolution has been actually delaying the transition towards better and, and wider gamuts is because up until last year, the two biggest mobile platforms in the world, which are Android and iOS, they didn't feature any sort of color management whatsoever. Yeah. So you you the burden to ensure that your pictures had the correct uh, color space embedded was actually on the user, on, on the, the person that's producing the images. And if you shoot JPEG or if you just take pictures with your phone and send them to a friend, that's not going to be a problem because those all default to sRGB, which is the again, the lowest common denominator. But if you're actually exporting pictures from Lightroom, you could, and I have, this has happened to me personally, you could export your pictures using a wider gamut like Adobe RGB, which is what I used to do because intuitively you think... More colors are better, yeah. It's better if I export the wider gamut. Yeah, more colors are better, right? But then when you look at those pictures on a phone, they look weird, they look washed out, the colors are all wrong. And that's something you can definitely see and notice even if you don't have two side-by-side images to compare. That's actually how I noticed it. And luckily, at least iOS since the 9.3 release, uh, Apple added color management to iOS uh, when they introduced the 9.7 inch iPad Pro with the first white color gamut. That was the first Apple device to feature a white color gamut. I don't know if uh, the iMac was first, but at least iOS device, it was the first. Yeah, and and they did a really good job, by the way, because it's it's extremely it's it's totally seamless. Basically, it works exactly the way that it should work. As it should, exactly the the, the, the way it's worked on desktop operating systems for a really long time. Uh, but I'm not aware. I think Android still doesn't support color management natively, so this is still a very big problem because. Uh, you know, market share wise, Android is still a lot bigger than iOS and it's going to remain that way for a really long time. So this is something that's not going to be easy to fix. And yes, we're making progress and Apple is taking care of their part of the of the deal. Like their, their ecosystem is steadily progressing towards a better uh, future where colors are more accurate. And I really want to see Android doing the same. Uh, I, I don't want to burn myself. I'm not sure... I'm not 100% sure whether Android supports color management as of today or not, but last I read, uh, it didn't. So, Yeah, either way, I think we're going to see a big push over the next few years. Again, not just because of Apple rolling this out across their product lineup and, and presumably Google doing the same, but because, you know, meanwhile in the world of video and uh, televisions, we're seeing high dynamic range, which is effectively the same concept. Uh, you know, it's, it's a different... Uh, it's a different approach to it, and again, there there are different competing standards and so on. But the the fundamental um, goal is the same, which is to have our displays represent uh, richer 
colors. So the fact that we're now seeing it across different branches of consumer electronics makes me optimistic about how long it will take for widespread adoption of different color gamuts. Um, and again, in parallel to this, the technology required to support those gamuts on the displays are is getting cheaper and more accessible. So it's no longer the case that you have to spend a thousand dollars to get a uh, you know a display that's capable of of show, uh, showing showing one hundred percent RGB uh, Adobe RGB coverage or uh, you know DCI P three or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Like just something broader is no longer out of reach financially for most people. Yeah, that's true. That's fair enough. We should probably check. Does the iPhone now shoot? pictures in DCI-P3 natively, like the JPEG pictures that come out of the iPhone camera, are those DCI-P3 or are those still RSRGB? No, they are uh, They are uh, DCI-P3. Okay, so they're white color gamut. Because it, yeah. it, it would be very weird if they were sRGB because you would be shooting all those pictures and then you would never see the benefit of it. Yeah, no, they are definitely a wide color gamut. Although you've reminded me now, something we should mention, um, specific for photographers, you may have noticed in your camera that uh, there's a setting for, not all cameras, but most cameras have a setting that allows you to switch between um, outputting sRGB or Adobe RGB um, and it's just, I, I wanted to mention, because this this came up in conversation um, a, a while back in Slack, that only pertains to the JPEG. And it's something that you should be aware of. Um, whenever you're shooting RAW, you're getting all of the colors that the camera can capture. You're not, there's like RAW photos are not in any color space because it's a, it's a gathering of information. It's not an actual image file. So you don't actually apply a color gamut until you have processed the file into uh, any non-RAW format, so a TIFF or whatever it is, a JPEG, that's when all of this comes into play. As, as long as those files are RAW files, you can do whatever you want with them. And again, this, is, this goes back to our RAW versus JPEG discussion. As this display technology improves, all those folks who today are shooting only JPEG and thus only sRGB JPEGs, their photos are suddenly going to look really faded to us when you know, 10 years from now, every display is a wide color gamut display and everybody is processing their raw files in DCI-P3 or in Adobe RGB or whatever it is. And the displays are capable of, of showing them, right? Like that's, right. that's another reason to shoot raw because it, again, gives you maximum flexibility, not just today, but in the future to process things for whatever output format is relevant at the time, including high dynamic range, wide color gamut displays. So, okay. So here's a question then. If I now have two wide color gamut displays, my iPhone and my MacBook Pro, yeah. and I'm wanting to get the 27-inch 5K, whatever they call that, that ultra-fine display from LG, yeah. which is also a wide color gamut display. And so that means that like basically all the computers in my life that I use minus my work laptop will have this high-end color space. Now, should I export my photos out of Lightroom in that color space then and put those online or like are people going to see a difference like a dramatic difference if i put them on like my blog or or anything on tools and toys or should i like should i stick to this srgb export for the for the foreseeable future that's a very good question i think for the foreseeable future for the foreseeable future you're going to want to stick to srgb because the problem is that going from like looking at an srgb photo on a high color gamut display that's fine 
Going the other way around, looking at a wide color gamut image on an sRGB display, that causes problems because you get a lot of weird shifted hues or compressed tones or things, and it looks wrong. Yeah. Right? Like, at, at worst, the other way around, it will just look dull. You know, an sRGB right. image on your display will just look slightly duller than the wide color gamut. Like you said, the difference is not vast, but that's what you'll see. Like, they look very similar because... Again, it's sRGB, so it's it's just showing you that part of it. If the image had more colors, your display would be able to show you those as well, but it doesn't. It's just capped at sRGB. But going the other way around, trying to show sRGB monitors colors that they don't understand is going to force them to try and interpret the information, and they always do it wrong. They always do a terrible job, and it looks like crap. And unfortunately, it means it's going to look like crap for 90% of your audience. Exactly. So right. to put it in, in broad terms... If you export in sRGB, your pictures are going to look, your your own pictures are going to look uh, just the same as everybody else's. But if you export in white color gamut, your pictures are going to look better to yourself, but worse to everybody else. Yeah. Okay. Great. I, I should. I'm going to try and do a quick test here because I've got my iMac right beside here. I'm tempted to go and see this exact link that I that we're going to put in the show notes with that wide color gamut photo in it. I wonder what it looks like on the iMac. But just to just to uh, give an example of how weird and difficult to explain this is, when you look at those uh, renders of the color space that is typically a triangle with a different rainbow shade and then a, an, another smaller triangle inside it delimiting which is, you know, limiting the range of colors that the color space uh, covers. That's all bullshit because your monitor cannot display the entire spectrum. So it's not like right now I'm looking at the DCI-P3 representation. It's not like you're not going to see those magenta tones outside of the triangle. The triangle. Of course, yeah. You can definitely see them. It's just your computer is not able to show you the the real thing. Yep, it's true. Those that's why those graphs are basically just representations, right? They're they're useful so that you can kind of understand where. Uh, what lies beyond the edges and how the the gamuts compare, but they're by no means an accurate representation of the full spectrum of colors within those gamuts. Exactly, yeah, because because this if, if it would be impossible to show on any display. Yeah, yeah. it's like when you were. I remember when uh, you know VCRs were standard across. Well, you guys are probably too young to remember this. But when VCRs were the standard hey. and the DVDs first <laughs> came, you know, on on the scene, you used to see TV ads. Where you would, you were actually playing a cassette tape on your or a videotape on your VCR, and it would be an ad for a for a DVD movie, and it's like they do a weird effect where the whole picture becomes clear, and and it's like wow, it's a lot better, but you're still watching it on a VCR tape, so you're actually not seeing the improvement. So it's it's just a trick. Yeah. Or like trying to. You go to Apple's homepage and you try to see the examples they give for how much better a Retina display is. If you're not looking at it on a Retina display, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's right. And that's where you have to have a little bit of marketing trickery come into play to to try and uh, explain those differences visually. Um, because ultimately, that people care about that, right? They don't really need to understand the technicalities of what is and isn't possible for them to, uh, to, to see on their display technology. Yeah. So I can't... Yeah, the iMac, like I, I can't tell a difference between those two photos on the MacBook Pro. It's not night and day different, but it's for sure different that my eyes can tell. So yeah. for whatever it's worth, there you go. Um, by the way, the iMac 
display that I have in front of me. Again, 2014, all of them are now wide color gamut as far as I know. Much cooler than the MacBook Pro display. MacBook Pro displays warmer. So anyway. By the way, you're still not seeing the entire difference because the second picture you're looking at is Adobe RGB, which is different from the color space of your MacBook Pro. So well, this is so complicated. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're also seeing an approximation. You're seeing fewer reds and blues and you're seeing more greens than what you would if the picture had been uh, coded to the DCI-P3 color space. So even that second picture, it looks better, it looks more saturated, it looks more vivid, but that's still not an accurate representation on your monitor, on your MacBook Pro's monitor. Man, complicated stuff, right? Yeah. Not even not even a joke. Yeah, that's why we're drinking wine. <laughs> uh, you are. I'm jealous. No, I, I used um, to be. I'm so, not anymore. Uh, okay, so all of the current MacBook Pros are wide color gamut, including the 13-inch with the escape key, right? Yeah, yes. same display. Okay, so if you buy a new laptop or you buy a new iMac, you're getting the better display. Long story short. Uh, well, unless you buy the the normal MacBook. I don't, did, did they put right, the right. wide color gamut? I don't think oh. that one has it. I think that's just got a retina display. You know, you mean the 12 inch MacBook? Yeah, 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 the 12 inch. Okay, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. I thought you meant the ages old clunky 13 inch MacBook Pro with a with an optical drive, which I think they're still selling by the way. No, 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 that thing doesn't, still, that doesn't that, exist That's anymore. called no, the I, MacBook I Plach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what a great computer though. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's yeah. the one I have. <laughs> MacBook Plach. <laughs> I am a proud owner of a MacBook Plach. <laughs> oh, man. Um, anyway, just to bring all of this down to earth here, because I, I feel like we this is a very complicated topic, but fundamentally, yeah. as photographers, one of the things that we can keep in mind is that whatever happens, we win. So unlike this whole struggle with dongles and all of these other things where competing technologies cause a lot of frustration, there's really no downside to widening color gamuts. No matter what, our monitors being able to display more colors is better for us, um, both from a workflow perspective and from a, a final output perspective. I mean, I look forward to when all blogs are able to display images that are wide color gamut. Actually, what I'm looking for is um, some sort of image format that properly encapsulates multiple color gamuts, just like, uh, you know, 2X assets did for uh, for retina displays or vice versa. You'll, you'll do, you know, retina images and normal images. You'll also do wide color gamut and standard color gamut images and the uh, the web browser itself will determine based on what machine you're on, which images to serve to you. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting stuff that's going to happen in the short term, uh, to facilitate the, the transition to this technology. And ultimately it just means that everything is going to start looking better, not as, uh, you know, dramatically better or as obviously better as it did going from standard def to, to high definition displays, but a very similar step forward. And one that has, uh, I think more, um, more tangible benefits for those of us that are producing images professionally. Yeah, absolutely. But for the yeah, for the bulk of people out there, I would still say enjoy the benefits of white color gamut while you're looking at your raw files on your computer and while you're editing, but I would still caution them and when you're producing images for the web, I'd still encourage them to go with this RGB. Uh, that's the safest way to to put images out there 
still, and it's going to remain that way for a while. Unfortunately, yep. but that's going to be the case. So there you have it. So we could talk about this forever because I want to get into printing one day. We'll do that next time. Yeah, let's not open the yeah. printing. That's a big can no. of worms. <laughs> With a whole, yeah. 12-inch MacBook does not have a wide color gamut display. At least Apple is not bragging about it on their tech spec sheet, and they would if it did. Right. So, Yeah, they totally would. They totally would. I'm just waiting for the 12.9-inch. I'm so excited for the next generation of iPad Pros. I cannot wait. It's going to be great. I take it you're going to upgrade then? Oh, I'm definitely going to op- upgrade. It's my main computer. Okay. It's a, it's a no-brainer. It says the guy with the Mac Pro. Well, yeah. <laughs> Believe you me. <laughs> what, what's the new one going to do better? Like, let's get real here. Well, why? It's going to have a better display. Yeah, wide color uh, gamut. That would be that would be amazing. That's worth the upgrade? Yeah, sure. I know we've spent the last hour talking about it, but I still don't think it's worth, like, that can't be the only feature. <laughs> No, it's not going to be the only feature. I can't imagine what the the other features are going to be, but that's... Like, I'm not going to walk up to somebody and be like, hey, dude, you should buy a new MacBook Pro because wide color gamut. No, 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 no. No, like, it's not like that. <laughs> but the best the best part of it is if they add True Tone as well, it's going to completely mess with the white color <laughs> gamut and it's going to make it absolutely, you yeah. know, irrelevant or whatever. By the way, um, just as a point of interest... Um, I'm still waiting for Affinity Photo and Affinity Designer to make their way to the iPad. Apparently, they are coming. We've mentioned this on a previous show. But in the meantime, um, Windows folks, they've now released Affinity Photo for Windows. um, And it's great. Uh, So now you get to see what uh, us Mac folks have been raving about. If you were kind of curious but frustrated because you couldn't access it, now you can. And uh, it's great. I, I like I said, I look forward to it being on the iPad as well. But for now, at least they've they've hit uh, Windows, which I think is a is a huge step forward for them. One more step towards saying goodbye to the ball and chain that is Lightroom. Yeah, they've still got a ways to go, unfortunately. Until their digital asset management tool comes out, uh, you know, then maybe. But until then, unfortunately, a lot of us are still stuck with Lightroom, if only for those presets, right? Yes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> What else is there to talk about? I think we should do the follow-up at the end this episode. That's or the news section at the end this time. I mean, we did. That was it. So are we done with the episode? Is that I what you're so. saying? I mean, we, we brought it in under an hour, which is good. It's nice and short. Oh, man. What? <laughs> I wanted to keep talking. No. Well, we can keep, we can keep talking, and that's fine. Uh, we also just got a tweet. Uh, David Klein apparently liked my little quote about frustrated hipsters in hats looking away from the camera. Uh, I guess he was listening to our episode. About- oh man, he, that's that's amazing. That's <laughs> one of those moments where everything makes sense. Yeah, I guess so. So totally disagree. Because you're one of them. You said that my my desk was hipster. <laughs> what? Oh my god, you can't. How can it my? Is. You, what part of my desk is hipster? What part isn't hipster? You buy notebooks. That's a that's a like a ten out of ten on the hipster what? scale. What? I I'm, I I have three of them on my desk right now. And I have a little plant, a fake plant. Yeah. Yeah. No, that whole that whole desk setup. Like, if if someone had told me that that was a still from one of Jonathan Morrison's like desk setup videos or whatever, I would have been like, "Yep, yeah, that makes total sense." It's got, like you said, it's got the fake plant. It's got the notebooks. It's got the like the 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 faded sky wallpaper, and it's got the <laughs> iMac. Like, if you if you only had the the Grove made desk setup that that I'm ironically 
rocking here, then it would have been perfect. <laughs> now the truth comes out. Right, right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about those? So you need a reclaimed wood desk or something like that. That's that's all. <laughs> Basically, right he now. needs a piece of driftwood that's like suspended by chain from yeah. the ceiling, and it all just sort of hangs <laughs> at different heights as a standing desk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. you know it's funny because it's true. I was about to. Uh, like, should we start a Kickstarter here? Like, <laughs> oh, like like the the thing we said the other day, the annual candid meetup. Yeah. Let's kickstart the hell out of that. We'll just make a desk, dear listeners, dear listeners. We know you love us. We would really, really, really love to meet once a year in nice, warm Argentina in the in January, for example, when it's cold in Canada and warm over there. So we're going to we're going to be totally kickstarting the hell out of it and we're going to let you know. We'll call it the Driftwood Dangler. It'll be available in different sizes. <laughs> Way overpriced just because of all the, you know, the, Obviously, yeah. the value that we pop yeah, into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And each one each one will be individually kissed by one of the three of us. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll sell them for 100 bucks a piece. They cost us about 5. We'll use the money to go to Patagonia. 100. I think you're missing a zero there. <laughs> True, true. Patagonia, man. That's awesome. Someday. Someday. Someday.